in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to where we watch movies and then talk about them, the Retro Movie Roundtable. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and I'm really sad to say it, but my good friend and co-host John Flack will not be joining us today. But... Pretty good trade-off. His friend, my friend, and your friend now, Brian Fry, will be here to co-pilot us on this episode of Retro Movie Roundtable. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. You know what? I've got some more good news. Not only is Brian here, but we have a great guest. So, from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and goes back to the college days of both Brian and John, we've got... Josh Evans with us. Josh, how you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. It is a lot like uh, undergrad in here today. I'm really digging it. <laughs> that's yes, that that's my maturity level. <laughs> um, so before we get going today, I just wanted to get a feel for who Josh is and what kind of things that he's into movie wise. What kind of movies do you like most, Josh? Well, I mean, I've I've listened to a few of your shows, and it, it seems like you have no shortage of of guests that enjoy the the horror sci-fi genre and I guess I'm really no different. I do have really loved horror movies growing up. Um but I you know, equal opportunity. I I like just about anything, but uh the the good horror movies are as few and far between as they are have, have what I've generally gravitated towards. Oh man, we could have used it in October. But oh, yeah, we'll, yeah. Mar- we'll we'll definitely be marking it around in uh October for next year for sure. Uh, you were in Israel though, so we couldn't get you that. That's right. that's why that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what is your favorite female actress of all time, and why? I think that it has to be, and I, I thought about this before I came in, but Charlize Theron, I, you know, I, I'd never really considered that too much, but then thinking about her body of work and how, how different and um, how much range she has, uh, I mean, think back to Monster or um, the Mad Max, or I really was a fan of her work on uh, Arrested Development. Um, she's, she's easy on the eyes as well, so uh, that doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah, I, I would say Charlize Theron. I recently watched Atomic Blonde, and it is one of the best movies I I've seen. I haven't caught in... that one yet, actually. She's, oh my god, she's it tough is so it. good. Yeah, uh, it, it's one of those like I it, I I don't want to ruin anything for you. Just just watch that movie; it's so good. So, what is the best movie you've watched that you had to watch in school? That I had to watch in school. Um, well, let's see. Oh well. I don't know if it would be the best, but probably the most memorable experience I had watching a movie with school was uh, elementary school. We had a field trip, and you got the choice between two movies to see. Um, one was a cartoon, and the other, for whatever reason, they decided it would be a good reason to, to bring a bunch of elementary school age students to see um, that junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that movie? It's a really strange movie. <laughs> yeah. he, he gets he gets pregnant, and uh, it was a it was a PG thirteen movie, and I, I was probably fourth or fifth grade, and I don't know how that that happened, but I remember coming back, and uh, my mom asked what what we had seen, and I said, 
oh, the, the Terminator got pregnant. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, that's that's what we saw. So as far as memorable uh, school movies, that, that probably has to be it. What did you learn today, Josh? I want to have a baby! Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's a that's a that's probably one of the most weird. Uh, that's why we asked that question. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I call movie day lazy teacher day, but I love it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the last movie you've seen? By the way, the last one I've seen um, was actually mentioning that I, I am a fan of the horror genre and just getting over Halloween here. I had a few on my list that I didn't get to prior to the holiday. But I watched this really good movie that had been on my radar for a while called The Green Room. Um, I don't know if you. Oh, guys... is that the one with Patrick Stewart? Yeah, where he's like King Nazi. It's uh, it's yeah. it's a wild yeah. movie. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys may recall. Um, in my undergrad days, I, I had a, a couple of facial piercings, and uh, you know, kind of was into the whole punk rock heavy metal scene, which I am to an extent still. Uh, but that movie was it was dark and it was heavy. It was brooding it was really violent um which i thought and i thought it was fantastic and plus you patrick stewart in it and uh and he was he was awesome as well patrick stewart seems to be like the guy who has like the most memes made off of him right i don't yeah. I, I don't know why that always happened captain kirk memes seem to be yeah like, yeah. yeah but uh yeah definitely good the guy the director uh jeremy Saulnier, i think i'm saying that right he has another movie out on netflix that i've been meaning to catch too and the name is escaping me right now but i know it has to do with wolves um, and apparently it's along the same line as the green room that it's it's really dark and brooding and uh, so I'm hoping to check that out. Is it the one where they send out like the National Geographic guy in to find like a girl they think were ta- was taken by wolves? Yeah, the guy that was the uh, the from Westworld, um, one of the main like engineer scientists from Westworld. Hmm. I think was the uh, right the right. Yeah, um, I I read about this. It's on my queue right now. Great uh, great Thanksgiving watching. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to jump in real quick. Um, if anybody hasn't had a chance yet, and that's probably several people, the new Fantastic Beast movie is just amazing. Like, just blew me away. Best Wizarding World movie so far. So you, uh, so you're uh, saying that a lot of this negative press that we've been reading about up there is unwarranted and not fair. Absolutely. I I could not have enjoyed that movie more. Uh, Justin and I saw it in IMAX and it was fantastic. Well, that's encouraging. I I've, I've I've been ready to go to it because uh, you know, like, you know, everybody said Solo sucked or uh, Last Jedi sucked, but I like both of those too, right. so I'm you probably know whether you're going to have a good time or not before you go in. So, today we're going to do The Never-Ending Story. This movie comes out in 1984. So it grossed $20.1 million. It was placed at 54th in the box office that year. Um, doesn't sound real high, but considering this came from a European studio, that's pretty impressive. And placing behind the movie Hot Dog the Movie. Uh, and placing ahead of Unfaithfully Yours. So um, Never Ending Story gets a 7.4 in IMDb. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it an 82%, and the audience scores pretty close to the line at 81%. Um, so generally, people still remember this movie pretty well, and it seems to be well-liked. So um, what were your expectations coming in? Uh, Josh, why don't you go first on this one? Well, this you mentioned that it came out in 84, which was the year I was born. So thinking back, I really it, it may have been close to 20 years since I've seen this movie. I had really fond memories of it. I was kind of worried going into it that it wouldn't hold up. 
Um, but uh, I guess we can get into that later. But uh, I had had high expectations, and I was watching it with my girlfriend who had never seen it before. Um, so I really didn't want it to be terrible, so she would make fun of me for enjoying it. How did it go for her? <laughs> she I, she dozed off at one point, but that's just because she doesn't stay up past nine o'clock most nights. But she she enjoyed it. I I thought that uh, she was pleasantly surprised. Okay, that's good. That's good. What about you, Fry? Had uh, you seen this one before? And if so, when was the last time you saw it? I didn't realize this until uh, much later into preparing for the podcast that uh, I, I have seen this movie before, but I was actually mistaking it for part two because I had seen that much later, like cognitively later in my life. When this movie came out, I was five days old. So um, <laughs> I ended up seeing, uh, gosh, it was probably early 90s, but I actually remember seeing part two. And that's what the impression in my head was. Was the so, whole time where you watching it? Where's that kid from Sequest? <laughs> kind of. I, was I, it River really Phoenix was. in that? Was, like, was it? Jonathan Brandis. That's yeah. who it was. Okay, yeah. I um, was like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> I discovered preparing for this that there was also a third one. and I didn't even know about that. The, the, the kid, the, the lead in Free Willy, um, played yeah. Bastion. Oh, um, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. They, I, I couldn't find it to stream, but I found a trailer for it. Um, I think it had like a, a three three percent on Metacritic or, or something pretty Oof, terrible. That, that, that's a bit worse than diminished returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the antagonist in it was Jack Black too. Really? Oh, really? Well, now yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> this might be bad enough to be good. Now I don't know. Um, so uh, I had seen this one before, like you guys, but I don't think I'd seen it since I was four years old. So I definitely saw it in 1989. I remember being in preschool and. Uh, I remember conjuring up Falcor and like, you know, on the playground or, uh, so, uh, I definitely saw it, definitely loved it, but for whatever reason, it wasn't on TV. It didn't hit me again. I got all the way up until now without seeing it. So when the option to watch this one again came up, I cautiously proved, I cautiously picked this one and like we, we said, we got to move forward and look into this one. So, um, I'm, I was excited to come back to it. So uh, this is the part of the show where i got to remind everybody, though, in order to really talk about this, we're going to spoil it. So if, you ha if you've seen it, it's okay. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you probably want to stop the podcast, go back and watch it. And even if you haven't seen it in a long time, that's okay. We'll help refresh your memory. So we'll be back after these messages, and we'll proceed. It's your 44th president, Barack Obama. Now that I'm no longer president, I enjoy watching movies, listening to podcasts occasionally. While having a drink with one of those little tiny yellow umbrellas in it. Uh, Michelle turned me on to one of her favorite podcasts, The Retro Movie Roundtable. I love it too. I'm here today to tell you this great podcast needs our help. We need to come together and go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and give a rating and review. Then after that, give it maybe one of those thumbs up from Facebook. If you want, you can even send an email to Retro Movie Roundtable Yahoo.com. Uh, America, with your participation, we can take this great podcast to new heights we never thought possible. Can we build a show that I love a better tomorrow? Yes, we can. I'm Barack Obama. Uh, I endorse this message. All right. Wow, I didn't know you guys had uh, prominent uh, politicians and former presidents listening to your podcast here. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. It's true. I asked him if he wanted to come on. He said he didn't want to do that, but he did want to give us an endorsement. So <laughs> well, nice. It's good to good to hear. He sounds like he's doing well. 
Yeah, he is. He yeah. is. Uh, he's he's uh, he's happy to not be thinking about that. Right. Uh, he's trying to not think about what's happening right now. So uh, <laughs> right, he, the director of movie roundtable is a good distraction. It's, a, for it's him. an escape for him. That's right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we want to get into the refresher memory. With if you haven't seen this in a long time, if you're like the three of us, we hadn't seen this in a long time. But uh, Josh, why don't you give us a plot summary here? Sure, sure. So as he mentioned, there's some major spoilers here. But uh, this movie starts with Bastian Balthazar Bucks, a shy, book-loving loner who's dealing with the recent death of his mother, and he's also being harassed by bullies at school. Uh, His father, while trying to address his recent troubles in school, implores him to keep his feet on the ground and rooted in reality to help him deal with his mother's death. On the way to school one day, Bastian is chased and thrown into a dumpster by his bullies. He gets out and continues to be chased until he hides out in a bookstore where he encounters a grumpy bookkeeper who, when asked about a particular book, The NeverEnding Story, advises strongly against Bastion reading it. Bastion takes the book and leaves a note promising to return it and continues on to school where he finds he's already late for a test. He decides to hide out in the school's creepy attic and starts to read the story. The NeverEnding Story tells the tale of the world of Fantasia and the reader slash viewer is immediately introduced into a quirky cast of characters. The massive rock eater, Nighthob, a messenger riding a narcoleptic bat, Teeny Weeny, another messenger who's riding a racing snail, all of whom are on a journey to the ivory tower to seek the help of the Empress in combating a mysterious and malevolent force known as the Nothing, which is devouring Fantasia. Upon arriving at the ivory tower, They discover that many others have gathered seeking the same help, only to be told that the Empress has fallen ill and will die if a cure isn't found. That task falls to a fabled warrior, Atreyu, who turns out to be a child. Atreyu is given a medallion to protect him and is sent off on his quest. At the same time, a creature known as Gamork is sent to stop him. Atreyu is on his journey with his trusted horse, Artax, to find the cure for what ails the Empress and is directed to the Swamp of Sadness to seek the ancient Morla. Tragically, Artex is overcome by Swamp, and Atreyu is forced to continue alone. He is surprised to discover that Morla is a giant turtle that talks to itself. Bastion, who's reading this, is also surprised to notice that Morla is a giant turtle, and lets out a scream, which Atreyu and Morla, they seem to have heard within the story. Um, After some frustration, Morla directs Atreyu to seek the Southern Oracle, but reveals that the Oracle is 10,000 miles away. Overcome with sadness, Atreyu is almost overcome by the swamp himself and Gamork hiding in the shadows when he is saved at the last minute by the luck dragon Falcor. Falcor takes him to the home of two gnomes, a scientist and a doctor, who live near the entrance to the Southern Oracle. They tell Atreyu that he has to get to the, or- to get to the Oracle, he needs to pass two trials, one of self-worth and another of self-reflection. He reaches the Southern Oracle, who tells him that the only way to save the Empress and Fantasia is to find a human child to give the Empress a new name. Atreyu and Falcor flee before the nothing consumes the Southern Oracle. In flight, Atreyu is knocked from Falcor's back into the Sea of Possibilities, losing the medallion in the process. He wakes on the shore of the abandoned ruins where he meets the Brockbiter, who laments the loss of his friends. Atreyu finds a series of paintings depicting his quest, Then Gromork reveals himself to have been lying in wait and explains that Fantasia represents humanity's imagination and that the nothing represents adult apathy and cynicism against it. Atreyu fends off and kills Gromork as the nothing begins to consume the ruins. Falcor, who has managed to locate the medallion, rescues Atreyu in time. The two find themselves in a void with only small fragments of Fantasia remaining 
and fear they have failed when they spot the Empress's ivory tower among the fragments. Inside, Atreyu apologizes for failing the Empress, but she assures him that he has succeeded in bringing her a human child who has been following his quest, the young Bastion. She further explains, just as Bastion is following Atreyu's story, others are following Bastion's, making this part of the never-ending story. As the nothing begins to consume the tower, the Empress pleads directly to Bastion to call out her new name. But in amazement that he himself has been incorporated into the story as the child they were looking for, he denies the events as just being a story, and Atreyu dies. Bastion runs to the window and calls out the name he has selected into the storm, Moonchild, the name of his mother, and loses consciousness. When he wakes, he finds himself in blackness with the Empress, with only a grain of sand, the last bit of Fantasia remaining. The Empress tells Bastion that he has the power to bring Fantasia back with his imagination. Bastion recreates Fantasia, and as he flies on Falcor's back, he sees the land and its inhabitants restored, and that Atreyu has be been reunited with Artax. When Falcor asks what his next wish will be, Bastion then brings Falcor back to the real world to chase down the bullies from before. The film ends with the narration that Bastion had many more wishes and adventures and adds, but that's another story. So one of the morals of this story is don't name your kid Balthasar if you don't want him to uh, get shoved into a garbage can. To be can. bullied, right? Yeah. I didn't know that was his full name, and I'm like, oh, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. He didn't He didn't win with any of the names. Like, he had three names, and they all would have gotten his butt kicked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, bingo, you get bullied. That's like, it's like three strikes and you're out. It's like, Bast Balthazar, <laughs> nope. Bastion, nope. Bucks, oh, God, no. I was really actually kind of, it was funny to me. I didn't know some of these characters' names. Uh, I didn't remember that as kids. I don't remember them. Like Teeny Weenie and Nighthob. I didn't. Uh, I thought that that was pretty funny. You know, when Teeny Weenie is not the worst name to be named in the movie, then uh, you've got a really bad name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Brian, uh, before we get into this a little deeper, why don't you give us a quick rundown on the cast there? Absolutely. Uh, so Barrett Oliver plays uh, Triple B. Uh, Noah Hathaway uh, plays Atreyu. Uh, Tammy Stronach is the childlike empress. Patricia, Patricia Hayes is Urgle, uh, Ingie Wook's wife and healer. Sydney Bromley is Ingie Wook. Gerald McRaney is Mr. Bucks or Bastion's widowed father. Uh, Moses Gunn is Carrion, a servant of the empress. And Alan Oppenheimer is the voice of basically every other uh, person in the movie. What is with Bastion's dad? He doesn't like seem to care very much. <laughs> I don't know. He did make a really nasty drink in the opening scene of the movie. I don't know if you guys yeah, noticed that. You know, it's funny. I, I actually thought, I think that's why I misread that because I was thinking when I was watching it day before yesterday, I was like, man, what's he putting in that? Raw, raw, eggs. raw eggs and orange juice? Is that a thing? It was in the eight. Well, I don't I know about the orange juice part, but in the eighties, people were all about this, like just eating raw eggs, like yeah. Rocky. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I assumed that in that shot that they were going as a side-by-side -side to showing both of them and neither of them really handling it well, but the dad trying to like tell his son that he needs to handle it better anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. He seemed awfully cold and like I have my concerns that he killed her. Um, he seems like he's just like look here champ stop complaining about it. Quit asking questions. Chin up and keep your feet on the ground. We're all going to be okay through this. He's like, aren't you sad? Look, we all, we were all were sad. We had our five minutes. Now let's get back to it. Game on. 
I was also uh, I was kind of surprised to notice the I knew Teeny Weenie looked familiar when I saw him. Um, guy's name is Deep Roy, and he was the Oompa Loompas in the new uh, uh, Willy Wonka movie. <laughs> yep, he was Tim- all of the Oompa Loompas. He has a way of popping up into Tim Burton things in general. I think he's in Sweeney Todd as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept I kept thinking the dad was Coach. Really? Okay. Um, kind of not a lot of female characters in this, I, I thought, when you were running down through there. I just realized that, like, uh, Fantasia seems to have a underwhelming number of females in it. Like, when they were in the Ivory Towers, like, is that why, like, she's, like, is it like Smurfette, like, where she gets to be the Empress because she's the only <laughs> one who's, like, female? That's a, that's an interesting well, what, uh, thought there. What yep. you didn't realize is Rockbiter was actually a girl. Rockbiter is a girl. Okay. Okay. I... <laughs> So uh, one other a couple couple of casting notes there. Uh, Noah Hathaway was due to appear in the Broadway show Chaplin alongside Gene Kelly and Anne Margaret, but he opted to do the Neverending Story instead. I'd say that turned out pretty well for him. Uh, he had been cast in the film, and the original director was fired. When uh, Wolfgang Peterson was hired, Noah was immediately rehired. So uh, hmm. had the job, then he didn't have the job, then he had the job. <clears throat> so uh, so kind of a weird thing on Noah Hathaway too is he actually plays Harry Potter. Harry Potter Jr. in the 1986 classic Troll. Say this again. Yeah. Like <laughs> Noah Hathaway. Okay. The actor plays yep. a character in Troll named Harry Potter Jr. Really? But, but this is obviously not the Harry Potter. Okay, I didn't realize not that. Not the Harry Potter. Okay, this and, is the part where you almost lost me on. Like, and not and not the uh, the the beloved classic Troll two. We're talking Troll. No, no, this is this is the OG. <laughs> I think I watched this in the dorms with you, actually, when we were. Yes, uh... you did. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Sonny Bono in that? It's very possible. I didn't do any research past Harry Potter. I was just like, oh, God, I'm putting that in. <laughs> <laughs> More recasting notes. The role of Bastion and Atreyu and the childlike Empress were recast in The NeverEnding Story 2 in 1990. Six years later, in the ages of Barrett Oliver, Noah Hathaway, and Tammy Stronch, uh, Stronach, uh, we're all in their late teens by 1989, and it wouldn't have worked. So uh, shame on the studio for not anticipating that they needed a fast turnaround on the sequel. They are replaced later by Jonathan Brandis of Sequest, uh, Kelly Morrison, and Alexandra uh, John S., uh, the assumed, uh, getting their assumed roles respectively. Um, so that's what uh, Josh, or sorry, what Brian was partially remembering the whole time. So I'm, I'm actually upset uh, if if that kid didn't grow up with a pet dolphin, like for his whole life, you know, just buying dolphins to have at his house. I'd be really disappointed. <laughs> I just assume that, you know, like whoever he dates, like, oh, do you have a dog? No, I've got a dolphin. You know, I didn't really watch Sequest. So when you say Jonathan Brandis, my head goes to uh, the Rodney Dangerfield ladybugs where like he's... And I'm more on the same page with yeah. you there, yeah. <laughs> like it was about a boy who got kicked off his uh, soccer team for not behaving well and then uh, ends up uh, putting a wig on and uh, playing on the girls' soccer team and being really good. So basically it's Juana Man. Juana Man. <laughs> made years before Juana Man. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, I'll toss it out there that if you have not taken a minute to really enjoy the full subtlety and wonder of Sequest, you should go back and watch it. Okay. Okay. I Maybe mean, not season two, but definitely season one. Okay. Um, so uh, what do you guys think about the story here? Uh, you know, you're coming back to it as an adult, you know, almost 30 years later. Uh, Josh, what did, you, what, did you, what did you actually think about the story this time? I, I mean, it... Did it maybe lose a little bit of the the wonderment that it had 
as a child, maybe, but I was honestly, I was a little surprised that how watchable it still was for me. I was, I was worried that it was going to be too coming out in 84. Like again, I don't think I've seen it in maybe 20 years. Um, I thought that it was, it was still very watchable and, uh, and enjoyable, um, which was a light surprise, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit lightweight. Very much so. Especially that it, it's, it's about an hour and a half long. I was really kind of surprised at how quickly, because I remember so many of those big major points happening, like Artax and the Swamp and the Oracle and everything like that. But it was just kind of boom, 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 like very to the point um, and light, like you said. I would, I would, I would agree on with that. Yeah, I've been in my head. I told myself this would be more epic than it was. And an hour and a half, I was surprised to see it was that short. I thought it was a little bit longer and, and it'd get, yeah, a little more epic. Brian, what did you think about the story? For, so you're saying for for never ending, it seemed a little short. It did. Yeah, you know, um, I think I think. Ag- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I'd agree with all of that. Um, I think rewatching it for the first time, and you know, like Josh said, it's got to be at least twenty years. Um, rewatching it for the first time, I kept thinking about Polar Express, where Why is that? like. As an adult, you don't hear the bell anymore. Oh, mm, and okay. when I rewatched this, I was just thinking, "It's like, damn, I don't feel, I don't hear the bell anymore." Like it, I remember being in awe of this movie, and it was still good, and I'm glad I rewatched it. But I was just wondering, like, have I allowed too much now to clutter my imagination that I still don't find the same? wonderment of this movie no it's fair i mean when you first said it's like polar express i said all the people are off-puttingly animated in a way that doesn't seem quite (laughs) realistic enough but also like kind of hollow and wooden no sorry (laughs) no no uh i'm with you and i actually think i want to say uh i remember seeing somebody interviewed who was in the creation i want to say maybe even the director of the uh new narnia movies that got canceled along the way after doing the lion the witch in the wardrobe he said he went back to read the books as an adult, and uh, which I don't think this is fair because those books do hold up pretty well. But uh, he was said when he came back to the content, it felt like a returning to the room that seemed like it was a giant hall uh, when you were a child and you're just mesmerized how big this room is. And you go away for a long time and you come back and it's no longer a big room at all. And um, I won't go as far to say as that, but I mean, I, you know the feeling. Sure, certainly. definitely. And I think sure. that's fair. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but what was here that I didn't appreciate as a kid is just how good the visuals of this movie are. And there's so many different points of that movie are just burned into my brain forever. Um, Artax in the Swamp. It's still, my girlfriend cried. Like it was, it's still so sad. It's the only part that I, I, it's probably the first like sad scene that ever made me tear up as a child, you know, a little TMI. It's, it's sad. Um, that, and I thought Gamork was still really creepy and scary. I was um, scared of this as a kid. Yeah. And I thought that, I thought that as, as far as it is a children's movies go, they didn't shy away from the scariness. Um, and even some of the other scenes I thought were the pretty scary. The swamp was very the, scary. The swamp was scary. I thought that the, uh, the oracles, like the, the first gate of the oracle, um, where the right. lasers came down and burned that guy up into a crisp. I remember that vividly. Um, not, I think it maybe helped that the, the oracle statues, me as a child seeing giant stone breasts that helped burn that into my brain <laughs> you know what this is gonna sound ridiculous but funny was, story about that we, we were watching we were watching the movie this time around 
And Mary just pointed out, she goes like, man, they were really pushing the boobs. They were out, yeah. Somehow, maybe it's because I saw it as a kid and it wasn't what like was on my radar as much. And maybe it's because they're on like a like gargoyle kind of figure or whatever that didn't register me with me. But once pointed out, it's once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right, And so right. you're just like, it's like, yeah, they're really out there. Yeah. So, well, I, I, like, I appreciate that they didn't kind of shy away from the heavier, you know, type of scenes like that. The sadness and the, the swamp of sadness, that's what that was called. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting tidbit on that. The author of Neverending Story, his biggest issue, uh, so he actually wanted his name taken off the movie. He didn't want to have any association with it, and they wanted the name of the movie changed. But his biggest issue with it was the boobs on the gargoyles. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yep. Well, I knew That was his biggest qualm with it. That and the movie is only half of the book. I knew uh, many of the things Brian pointed out is true, and he even filed a lawsuit against the studio, but he did lose, and so the movie is still called Never Ending Story. Um, I don't know what they would have called it yeah. without... Uh, um, yeah, I don't know what they would have called it. Uh, Bastion, Bastion uh, Bartholomew Bucks, Bastion the movie. Bartholomew Bucks. The movie. <laughs> and it wouldn't have been a It does, doesn't well. <laughs> roll off the tongue as easy as the Never Ending Story. No, I see why they kept it. Um and another issue that he did have with it that, uh, you know, this movie only covers about half the book. I don't know much about the book, but I assumed that when reading up on it, um, I assumed there had to be more to the story than, than what was presented because there was a lot of ideas that, that didn't really seem super fleshed out. A lot of characters that didn't really seem super fleshed out. Yeah. Um, mainly the one that I was kind of surprised in is I remember Teeny Weenie and Nighthob from watching it as a child, but then they just kind of disappear for the rest of the movie. Um, you would think disappointingly they, so. Yeah, like yeah. you thought they were going to unite with Atreyu at the beginning and mm-hmm. and continue on their path with him, and when they didn't, especially now, like again, I remembered moments in this movie. I did not remember specifics or general uh, continuous plot. When they when they faded out of this, I was just like, hey, where are those characters? Right, like about yeah. halfway through the movie, I was like, where are those characters? I like they, they were they were great. They spent the, the narcoleptic bat and the racing snail. Like that's that's I want to see more of that. Yeah, uh, I love the rock eating monsters. So yeah, the, yeah. I just. I'm with you guys on that. Uh, he needed a companion or two other than his horse. So another thing about Atreyu, uh, which I thought that name stuck on me because of the band Atreyu. So, um, you know, Becoming the Bull or uh, Falling Down are some of the songs from the band Atreyu that you may or may not remember from the mid-2000s era. The band, uh, The band's name uh, doesn't necessarily come from this because it's actually an ancient word that means bold guardian. And in many ways, Bastion uh, sees this as somebody who he wants to be. It's interesting. Uh, he is cowardly and small, and Atreyu is viewed as brave. He's a warrior. He's strong. He's full of courage. He rides horses, whereas Bastion is a boy. And his dad's like, I got your riding lessons, and you're not riding them. I didn't even put that together, yeah. And so, like, and this is in many ways is things that Bastion wants to be. And he's reading it in the stories, and he's becoming... Uh, braver through the character and seeing who he wants to be so i might be misremembering what band did this as an intro to a song but i thought it was actually atreyu that did do the whole falcor atreyu intro to one of their albums it's very possible i can't guarantee like where they're it, it, the where word they're is the word is each other where it's like falcor atreyu falcor like it, i i feel like they put that as an intro to one of their albums it is possible that it they named it from this but like i said the the name atreyu goes back before the band it goes back before the movie it goes back it's it's an old name so um 
So the uh, other interesting things are the, uh, I thought there wasn't a lot of, like Josh mentioned earlier, the, there wasn't as much depth here, but one of the things that I did think was interesting, which they had expanded on, was they talked about the first gate, only a person who can pass the sphinx is a person who feels their own self-worth. So again, Bastion has no confidence Tying in himself. Tying that back to Bastion, absolutely. Yeah. And um, teaching him that he has to be like a Treyu and have confidence in himself. Um, you know, so I, they didn't uh, mention a second gate where like a, a rightful amount of confidence in yourself. So you don't like go through like where you're like really arrogant about yourself. Where it's like, I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm getting through the first gate. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so the second gate is to be confronted with your true self-identity, and that's where Atreus sees Bastion. And, and so I, I, I remember that being a little creepier as a child. Um, I, think, I think they could have, I don't know, the first gate was so epic, I think the second gate was a little disappointing watching it. I thought there were going to be more gates. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, seven gates seems like an appropriate right, number right. of gates to have here. Like, cause, <laughs> so, so all you need is confidence and to know yourself. That's it? That's it. <laughs> like... You know, pure heart or something? Well, they, they said like... that it, the, I think it was one of the gnomes said that the second gate, when confronted with your true self, sends men running mad. And I guess I was hoping to see a, a little bit more of, uh, I mean, they, they showed you what the first gate was capable of when they fried that guy into a skeleton. You could see Donald Trump go through the first gate because he's very confident in himself. Exactly. But then go like, to the second gate. The second, second gate, like, one is, first gate's not a problem. It's very, very nice. I got through the great gate. It was a beautiful, wonderful gate. The breast <laughs> on the, on the statue is very, very large. That's my kind of thing. And then he gets to the second gate and he's like, I'm a terrible person. I'm going to go home. This is very, very sad right now. <laughs> he looks and sees a prune covered in Cheeto dust and uh, <laughs> runs away screaming. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so other things uh, other things that might have made the author a little bit unhappy about the book, uh, the they dismissed, uh, and he dismissed the film as not having enough content. He said that a lot of the message that he wanted to have got lost. And so... Um, well, they said the book, in, or the movie ended... About the halfway point of the book mm -hmm. is what I remember reading, and uh, which it's interesting. I, I kind of I want to read the book now. I didn't. I wasn't aware of it being a, a novel, you know, as a child. And to make matters worse for him, it's not like they fixed it by uh, making a 1990 the sequel and finishing it. Uh, it diverges more. Apparently. Oh, does it? Yeah. yeah. So, so the so the 1990 uh, sequel doesn't necessarily. It's not just like a tale of two halves. It's more like a okay, I'm already unhappy, and it's interesting. He must have been super unhappy later. <laughs> Um, so, and then, uh, other, and other differences include, uh, the horse can talk in the book. Really? Um, yeah. So that, that would, would have made the swamp scene much harder to watch. Uh-huh. Yeah. And another interesting thing about that scene is it's the swamp of sadness. And so it's not, he unwillingly falls into it cause he's kind of struggling, but, um, he was overcome. He was overcome by sadness, sadness and depression. Yeah. He kind of lets it happen. And that like, and Trey was like, come on, pull yourself out of this, mm -hmm. man. We got to move through here. And like the horse is just like, nope. Yeah. I, I think I just why do it uh, you guys are bumming me out <laughs> what if they used it for a moment of cock relief instead where he's like no you're letting the swamp get you dude I'm stuck I'm stuck it's mud <laughs> like I'm a horse I don't I can't do what you can do you weigh five pounds like I'm sinking are what you is your skin doing what do you not see this I'm up to my chest in mud already what, what, <laughs> what do you want from me yeah, it's like which, yeah, it's like I'm a horse, man. You're you're a five pound child. 
I'm, I'm picturing BoJack Horseman's voice when you're saying this, yeah. um, and that turns into it a whole completely different thing. I could really use a Luck Dragon about now to pull me out of the swamp. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Luck Dra- Dragon doesn't come for a horse. You'll go for the kid who, you know, has to talk to a turtle, but you're not going to come for the horse. Thanks. I'm surprised that the, the, the Luck Dragon was one of the things that I remember the most, too. Like, you, you don't re- remember a lot of these characters' names, but everyone remembers Falcor. Like, that's, yeah. that's such a memorable character and a memorable name. They make Falcor more friendly in the book, uh, or sorry, in the movie, too, because in the book, he's more just a straight-up dragon. Yeah. In this case, he's a strange combination between a smiling man with a mustache, a dog, and a dragon. Like my next door neighbor's dog looks like Falcor and I still call him Falcor and I had to explain why to his owner. And she's like, why do you call it? His name's actually Zen. He's like, why do you call my dog Falcor? And I was like, because he's Falcor. Because he's Falcor. Hand her a copy of this movie and then give her the podcast and then she'll figure it out. So uh, Bastion ends up in Fantasia in the end of the book as well. That's another difference. So instead of coming back, because uh, one thing that didn't end with me well is the end of this movie. Like when like he comes out of the uh, the fantasy world or Fantasia and he brings Falcor with him and he's chasing these bullies down the street. It's kind of fun. But I mean, on the other hand, it the story has just begun. And uh, I think it would be interesting to leave an open ending with him like saying, like, I've got this grain of sand. And I've got an imagination. Where do you get a load of me? I just wanted to see the local news in his in his town there the, after Falcor is flying through the streets. Because people notice, you, you can see people kind of kind of scared of him flying through the streets on this luck dragon and chasing children. Um, I thought that it would have been cool to... Do any of them <laughs> stop and say, oh my god, a giant luck dragon Well, I see people like up. hiding behind like cars, I, I believe, um, as he's going yeah. through. So uh, I, I, I would I have liked to have seen the, the fallout stop. from that. I would like to see the kids jump in the dumpster themselves to get away from the luck dragon. Yeah. Like that would be a nice <laughs> little touch if, if you are going to go this route, which I wouldn't they have They did, gone. didn't they? Did they? I think they jumped in the dumpster. Hmm. I think they ran away. I didn't. I, uh, Brian, did I miss the dumpster part I in guess... my head? I guess what I'm saying, though, I, I'm not sure about the dumpster part, but I guess what I'm saying is, would if you saw Falcor without seeing this movie, you saw what Falcor is flying toward you, would you use the word luck or dragon in the synopsis of what you were seeing? No, flying death dog, like apocalypse yeah, flying right. death dog is what I, is what I'm seeing, and uh, I'm I'm terrified. Well, I mean, he does. Atreyu is afraid of him at first. He's like, "You're not going to eat me, are you?" And he, like he laughs. He goes, "No." He, he said. Uh, I like Which children, all... and his response is, for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty Which much the conversation you have to have at first. Yeah. 100% of death dogs would say that. <laughs> it's like, what do you eat? Teenagers. Teenagers. <laughs> You're good for a few years. <laughs> You're not large enough. Think of yourself as a veal with your head in like a, like, like some kind of like retaining thing. I'm going to feed you, fatten you up, and then I'm going to kill you. Falcor looks at a Treyu the same way any normal male looks at tapas bars. <laughs> just, just pure disdain. Like, ah, oh, God, you're not even worth it. I bet you're expensive. Um, other one last thing about the difference of the book and to the to the movie is that in the book, the nothing approaches people who have lost their faith and they have no hope, and so they are vulnerable again to this force. 
that is, uh, you know, destroying things and disassimilating everything that's in this reality. Whereas in the movie, it's some really cool-looking psychedelic clouds yeah, that are yeah. just kind of an unstoppable Uprooting force. Uprooting trees are... and... Yeah, and so... Um... I thought that that still was kind of, you know, I, I went back and forth. as like, is this a, is this a cheap cop-out for something? Or I thought it was actually kind of cool. I thought it was kind of scary, the impending doom coming through, and to tie that into the idea of people losing their imagination. I thought... Uh, I think that was pretty neat, and I'm sure it is uh, expanded upon in the book. Um, yeah, actually, people, again, just become so weighted down by their own lack of uh, hope in, in this situation, and so they, they heave themselves mm. into the nothing. Oh, gotcha. So another another step darker. Yeah, wow. So okay. would this be, would it be too much of a juxtaposition to say that it's not unlike the movie Babadook? I thought it reminded me more of um, Evil Dead. You know how you never oh, really okay. saw what was yeah. coming at you, and uh, yeah. it was just from behind the camera, and it was chasing that. Or there was a movie recently, uh, um, It Follows, completely oh, different movie. type of movie. But again, like I thought, it almost made it scarier that you couldn't really see what it was, but you knew it was coming. Um, so that's kind of uh, yeah. what it made me think. Totally of. agree. Mm, yeah, that, and I do think. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it worked this way, but I just I can envision someone being like uh, on like the idea board, like, and they're like. What are your ideas for the villain? I've got nothing. Okay. Let's go with it. No, so, I mean, I have maybe, nothing. That's perfect. Or maybe when they were doing the, uh, the, the for It Follows, they, they like, how about we do a sexually transmitted the nothing? <laughs> <laughs> as long as we add some big boob sphinx in there. There we it. go. Yeah. So as mentioned before, this is a European production, and uh, this was the most expensive uh, film uh, coming out of uh, Germany at the time, and uh, The NeverEnding Story is Peterson's first Hollywood effort. So some other things that you may know uh, Peterson from are the movie he did prior to this was nominated for two Oscars was Das Boot. Did not know that that was the same guy until I went reading into this. It's important to know it's no shoe. <laughs> it's no shoe. It's Das Boot. <laughs> um, and so uh he gets off to a uh, so he, he gains acclaim through das boot in 81 he comes out back uh, with the never ending story in 84 here and so uh after that he stays a little more in the public eye uh you know enemy enemy uh mine in 85 shattered 91 in the line of fire with clint eastwood in 93 outbreak in 95 i like that one a good bit that was a good one. uh air force one uh is one of my favorite ones that he's done in 97 Perfect Storm in 2000, not my favorite of his, a little sad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more of an ocean of sadness in that one, rather go. than a swamp, a swamp of sadness. sadness. Yeah. Troy in 2004. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Troy in 2004 and uh, Poseidon in 2006. So, Did yeah. anybody else really, really not like Troy? I think everybody else did because it was really oh, okay. panned at the time. It, it, it cost a ton of money and it was absolutely eviscerated in the it's, reviews. It's one of those that I know I've seen, but it just... I don't remember a whole lot about it. It didn't really grab me. It, I, you know, if I enjoyed it more, I'd probably remember more. I put Troy in the same realm as Alexander. Like, I, I really wish I could have that time back. Wow. I, I don't think I, I think I'm probably getting both of those two movies confused because I think that they're both fairly forgettable. Man, Alexander's another level of bad for me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, God. It was... I saw it as a midnight showing with my stepdad in Indianapolis. We didn't get out of the theater until like 4 a.m., it was oh god! It really Rosaria Dawson brought that movie back up, and you all know why. Uh, Same reason you were a fan of the Southern Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So uh, again, what are you? What are you guys' takes on uh, the direct on uh, Peterson's direction here? Like uh, as a director, what do you think of him, Brian? Why don't you take this one first? Um, I mean, DOS boot was phenomenal. Um, I really can't say enough good things about that. It, which ironically is weird because I love su- submarine movies and my wife hates them. Like I have to watch Hunt for Red October at two o'clock in the morning after she's gone to bed. But um, <laughs> So I uh, absolutely love Doss Boot. Outbreak was phenomenal. In the Line of Fire was probably the first movie I ever saw with John Malkovich in it. And that was a whole doorway leading to wonderful things. Oddly enough, Air Force One I really enjoyed, but now I can't read the title without thinking about Nelly. Um, <laughs> That's unfortunate, man. <laughs> yeah. It's I, a good uh, movie on its own. <laughs> right, yeah, like I said, you know, I like it. I'm a big um, Gary Oldman fan. Mm. Uh, Perfect Storm. I remember seeing that in theaters, and yeah, right. It's like a super downer, but at the same time, gosh, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Okay. So no, I'd say I'd say overall he uh, he wins far more than he loses. So you've seen a lot of them. Are you, is there any trends that you can see that tie his work together? Because a lot of these are very different types very of very different types of movies. I was very surprised to see that because I didn't, I wasn't aware that he did this movie and all of those other types of very different kind of movies. I, that's why I, th- I, well, that's what I was going to say I think he's I a guess... talented director that he can do a lot of these different things. Yeah, it's a credit to him because you can't say oh this is a him movie. You know what I mean? Like he has range to where you can't say it's like Michael Bay. Like after you see a car explode and flip over the same way in nine different movies, you're like, Oh God, this is a Michael Bay movie. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything you can just peg him with and say, this is, this is his thing. I know it's him. What was his most recent movie? Is he still alive? Do we know? Uh, Poseidon was 2000. Oh, okay. Uh, 2006. That long ago. Okay. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know uh, that he's still active. Four... I've got a different one. It says uh, four against the bank. Oh, twenty sixteen. Oh, that's okay. quite a okay ten year gap like, on that one. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a German film. Okay, I, I might have I might have left it out because uh, I don't speak German, um, and I didn't. Thank you for translating Das Boot for me. Wir gegen die Bank. And I think I might have said that it it it. it uh, I guess it was not uh, Das Boot was nominated for six Academy Awards, two of which were the best director and uh, best adapted screenplay. So uh, it was well liked. And so coming off of this, he had a huge financial success with this. So he's got a lot of cachet in order to make something never ending story. And this was a very expensive movie. And in the 80s, you couldn't computerize any of this stuff. So um, I'd say it puts its money where its mouth is in terms of the world. Fantasia looks awesome. Right. And I really, I do feel like some of these older movies, having an actual animatronic puppet versus something computer generated, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm remembering it fondly or I'm tying that to maybe the Muppets or something, but I think for certain things it works a lot better for me. Um, and I was, you know, I like to see that as opposed to some really crappy 80s special effects. Well, we're talking about the atmosphere here a little bit. Let's go into it. Um, I think um, as you're talking about, uh, the practical effects often pay high dividends because it is real stuff. I mean, even uh, even like Falcor's hair. I mean, that's right. real hair. He's a 60-foot-long 
mechanical mechanism. And I had that a, you such can sit an on. image of that still with even I remember his scales. He he's got almost like lizard like scales, and I rem- I remembered seeing that as a child, and it, it stuck in my brain. So. Yeah, you don't have to pay a renderer to sit there and make sure that the light reflects mm-hmm. off the scales in a certain way. Sure. They built scales. And no, I mean, some of the dialogue may have not matched up great with the way their mouths were moving, which I know, I know, like in Gamork's big scene where he's before he tries to kill Atreyu, but it's still, I, I found it to still be effective. And... You don't know how luck dragons talk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I love the, the rock biter. I thought it was fantastic. He was such a, a sympathetic character when he's complaining and he's sad about losing his friends and it was. I don't have any tasty rocks to eat. It's really tasty. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, there's those fine uh... stone. Nom nom <laughs> <laughs> nom. So uh, little bit of quartz. The little bit of quartz. Yeah, yeah. I tried eating that this morning. I now have no teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so good when he talked it up, but now he, he did, I, I yeah. feel like he really misled me on this. <laughs> it's a trap. So uh, you can actually still go to Munich, by the way, and ride Falkor. I I have added something to my bucket list just this second. (laughs) I throw my fist up in the air like Bastion does at the end. Like that'll be my Facebook profile picture forever. I don't know what studio it is, but it seems like an obvious amusement park idea as well to build your roller coaster cars like like Falkor's body and then put like a giant Falkor head on the front of it as he like zips you around fantasia but was there a lot of uh like yeah product placement uh toy lines or or did they take advantage of the the story i, I don't recall I remember playing being a kid with those toys been, at all i would like, have been a kid and happy to buy some of these things yeah but i don't but recall I don't, them being there yeah they missed out on the merchandising yeah, but we, what you guys got to understand is zero millennial heathens will understand what the car looks like <laughs> that's why it's up to us the the old millennials to to, to pass these movies on yeah yeah you're yeah. right there's two kinds of millennials out yeah. there and josh is right elder uh, elder millennial elder millennials yeah there you go xennials as sometimes people like to call them, the micro the micro generation well if uh, you see there, there's actually a really good stand-up on netflix right now and i'm gonna mess up her first name but it's Schles- schlesinger's her last name and she said come gather around yeah. yeah she's good gather around and let me tell you about the landline <laughs> So this guy, this this movie here was made, as I mentioned, in the Bavaria Studios in Munich, Germany, um, and uh, other places that it are filmed in include uh, Vancouver and Spain. Um, the actual, the whole original, uh, sorry, the opening scenes and stuff uh, where he's in a town that's Gastown in Vancouver. If you haven't been there, it's awesome. It's a neighborhood that used to kind of be the center of commerce, and uh, you've got a lot of these like train loading dock platforms, and they've all been renovated into. It's kind of a hipster part of town now, yeah. but like uh, a lot of cool restaurants and stuff are there, and uh, they've taken all these gritty old parts of town, and now that it's been renovated and uh, reborn into this really cool part of the town. So um, go check it out. And another landmark that you'll see is the like in the very beginning, there's a clock. Uh, and it's like has steam and stuff and a guy up on a ladder fixing it that's a van that's a vancouver landmark and uh it's uh one of the few steam clocks out there in the world uh designed by raymond saunders and it's actually not even as old as it looks he's just a sculptor slash clockmaker in uh, 1977 so it's, it's it's made to look old but uh it's still uh that gas powered clock or steam powered clock is uh you know speaking to the gas town na- uh, neighborhood and Vancouver, so um, I don't know. I I got to go there at one point and see it, so I, I got excited when I saw that. So 
Um, other setting thing is, uh, what is with this attic and this school? Did anybody <laughs> else... the creepiest attic on the face of the planet is what it was. <laughs> did you have an attic it like actually this in remind... your school? No. I, I, I it mean, actually reminds me of an attic we had at church. Really? <laughs> I had a church attic. It, it sort of definitely like that, was yeah. haunted, and uh, they... No one's cleaning it up because it's covered in cobwebs and there's they, skeletons. And in I was going to say they must have the biggest <laughs> Halloween celebration ever at that school because there were skeletons everywhere. Is this like one of those like Catholic schools, like where the nuns are like you know like they like hit you with rulers and then they're like they're like if you're really bad, I will chain you up in the attic. And if I don't no. remember, then you know what, yeah. you might not make it. That's probably what happened. Yeah. I, I just developed a theory on this. This was Carrie's high school. And they used to celebrate Halloween until they had all those deaths. So then they just stored everything upstairs and never got used again. <laughs> it, it looks like where you would make Frankenstein. It does, yeah. And I did remember making a note of that. I was like, what kind of high school attic is this? Like, it, it, well, if it was a Harry what, Potter school, I might buy that. That's but, where you learn like divina divination or something like yeah, that. that, that like, yeah, was, if Professor Snape was hanging out up there, you'd be like, yeah, this is this is totally cool for like Professor Snape. Like you go up there, like, what are you doing, Mister Bastion? <laughs> Well, think about what kind of serial killer Bastion grows up to be, because first off, he's had these grandiose fantasies. He's got all the wishes he could ever want, so he could really do anything he wants to do. He knew exactly where the key was to the creepy attic, and his name is the Triple B. Is the Triple B. That's true. So I actually... So I, just, I, I feel like there's like a darker story to tell about him as an adult. So I dug a little bit deeper, and actually this attic, uh, granted, probably didn't look like this at the time, but uh, th this is a real school in Vancouver, in North Vancouver. It's Ridgeway <laughs> Elementary School, and it's a really nice 1914 building. So it's kind of got this uh, Edwardian uh, Baroque-style uh, school, way nicer than your run-of-the-mill school, and it has a big gable on top hmm. of it. So my first thought was like, this is crap. And, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, being an architect and a dork, I looked it up and I said, oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. They do have a big roof with an attic in it. And uh, if the skeletons were already there, then maybe... Uh, I would say be, be, being a chiropractor and a nerd, I noticed that those skeletons were not anatomically correct. Ooh. <laughs> you know, and, and listen, being a bookstore manager and a nerd, I feel like we all had a lot to bring to this uh, podcast. <laughs> That's true. Reading reading is pretty much the moral of the story. Like, if there was ever a pro-reading movie, this was it, you know. Although, uh, it does tend to lead to a little bit of disappointment. It's just like, I'm not in the book. Mm -hmm. I, I wish, you know, can I get a copy of that? So, um Yeah. Sure, it's uh, it's at your local Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Fry, what, Product placement. Fry, what characters did you think looked the coolest? Because there's a lot of cool creatures and characters in this. Yeah, I, I, the two that stood out the most for me, like the ones that I will never forget, were obviously Falcor, but also Rockbiter. Like I still remember Rockbiter. I that was the part I was waiting to happen. I was like, man, when is Rockbiter coming on this? And I couldn't really remember how. And so when he did, I was like, ah, oh, there he is. So uh, Princess, Atreyu, Rockbiter, Falcor. And I had pretty much forgotten about everything else, including the horse, which I think that was more like repression. That's, so, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So, 
So pretty much um, all of them I don't for Fry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, no, it was it was good. It was good for me in that way. I got to rewatch this movie almost like it was a new thing, uh, with my like specific impressions. I particularly like Nighthawk the Bat Rider. I just yeah yeah. I just I really <laughs> liked him. For me, I think it was the. Uh, um, is he a nutcase? The the rock biter definitely I remembered the most stuck up one of the most, but also Gamork. Even though I didn't remember that the name was Gamork, because when he's introduced, he's nothing but these glowing eyes and fangs, and I just remember that being terrifying as a kid. Um, and then towards the end, his final confrontation with Gamork, uh, when he actually shows his face, is still really kind of scary. And I remember it, uh, you know, affecting me as a child, maybe freaking me out a little bit. Absolutely. So the uh, filmmakers, uh, like the uh, storm clouds, uh, was their way of representing the absolute, uh, the nothing, as we mentioned earlier. I just wanted to point out again how much I really like these. They, they look, were cool. They look, they yeah, look awesome. They were cool. And um, I am wondering in the effects department how many hours were spent on mushrooms watching the the, the cloud scenes that they were making. Yeah. It's like It's like, do you have those cloud scenes ready, guys? It's like, oh, man. So <laughs> we need cool. more mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. It's the just, nothing. it's not even there, man. It's there, but it's not, man. <laughs> like with your hand outreach to the sky, like trying to grab something. It's like, I can't even touch it. And the other guy's like, because it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't point out. Morla's the other one that I really love the look of. Like you the, think the it's, turtle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shell Island is what he was looking for. And you come to find out Shell Island is the shell of the turtle, the shell of Morla. It's one of these, it's a very magical movie, and when you see this island, uh, and then it turns and moves and rises out of the water, that's, it, it is awesome. And again, remember, that's practical effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to that, and I think it's an island. And being sneezed out of a tree is, is still pretty funny, too, I, I will say. The, the more like sneezing a tray over you over and over and out of over. a tree. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, you're like, you, you got to pull out a towel and be like, <laughs> right. dude, just like blow your nose. I guess it was his fault because he was allergic to people, though. That's true. I forgot that he was allergic to people. Yeah. So another funny, interesting thing, though, uh, is that this is like one of the hottest uh, summers in record uh, in Germany, and it caused the ivory tower to melt. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. They had a hard time keeping their studio properly cooled. And uh, What was the ivory tower made of? That I can't find. I hope they didn't make it out of ivory. <laughs> like, so, not ivory. <laughs> so, so, some ice sculptor was like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's perfect. What do you mean you're filming in July? It's made of chocolate. That's what it is. It was made out of chocolate. So Josh, what would you think about the uh, soundtrack on this one? The soundtrack to me is honestly like, I don't know if it's because it's good. I love it. I, I was immediately singing along to the songs um, when it came on, even though I haven't seen this and maybe two decades you, like, you remember i remember the, the songs and the tunes like uh I, my my girlfriend was was amazed that i started singing along i'm not going to do it on here because it wasn't good but i i was able to immediately sing along and that with, case, the I with, the, you do it. with the opening credits um you know that being said there, there wasn't a whole lot of different music it was kind of reused a few times but the the, the couple of tunes that i remember i I still like i still have it in my brain i think it was interesting that you've got like this epic fantasy world and then you 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 come in on a pop tune yeah yeah and then um (laughs) and then it it does have experiential like epic music in it but you're right and then uh, we finish again with uh kind of a bright happy it was very 80s it was very very 80s the 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 music and the soundtrack but it wasn't as orchestral as you would imagine no something 
fantasy like this epic to be. Well, in Germany, they have the the, the German cut uh, that Peterson did did not have the uh, techno pop elements. Oh in, yeah, uh, composed by uh, Giorgio Morader. But uh, apparently, they had advise or uh, they had asked the advice of a prominent American director to kind of Americanize the movie. And it just depresses me slightly that their addition was, hey, you really need a power ballad. Klaus Dollinger is the guy who did all the orchestral stuff. And if you get the European version, you'll only have that. So uh, maybe maybe a little more fitting, but, uh, you know, you're American, so you must like that, Brian. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny, too, that, that the, the theme song, uh, the guy, I wrote it down here, the lead singer of the pop band Kaja Gugu. Yep. Yeah, was the uh, the guy that, that that sang that and uh I my my head now that Brian says is they're, they're pandering to American audiences goes to the characters in South Park who are like in Asia during the the, the dodgeball tournament and they like they, they pull their eyes open real wide I'll like it's like want to hear my impression of dumb American? I'll use my credit card. <laughs> so Let's have a barbecue. <laughs> Any other things that we want to talk into before we go look for this, maybe? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just really, again, want to reemphasize how, how much of this stuck in my brain over so many years, the music and those, those characters and those situations. Um, and, you know, say what you want about the movie, whether it's not as deep as it should be. I think that's a testament to, uh, you know what they were doing at that time, so, you know, back in the 80s with the... It is directed for kids, and I got the full experience as a kid, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. So... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the soundtrack on my way to work um, tomorrow morning. Kajagoogoo. Yeah, Kajagoogoo. <laughs> um, so, is that Brian, available on Apple Music? Brian, why don't you lead us off? Uh, we'll go around one, one fact at a time and just go, go down a couple of fun trivia pieces that you were able to find. Uh, you want to start us off? Um, yeah, I, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole on this because I kept searching things and they led to other things. But uh, finding out that Noah Hathaway owns and operates a tattoo shop with his wife in Hollywood, he kind of looks like a buffer Travis Barker at this point. <laughs> he is. He's in good. Yeah, he's a, he's a tough looking guy now. Um, so he's ready for never ending story for it to go back 30 years later. <laughs> Hook style. And meanwhile. Meanwhile, uh, Barrett Oliver looks like Peter Jackson. Hmm. So you so you want to shove him in a trash can? <laughs> hey. Um, anyway, Josh. Um, I found so the medallion that we talked about that that Atreyu got um, it allowed him. It, it was the representation from the Empress. Um, it was supposed to be for protection. It was called the 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 Arin. Um, and Fry actually touched on uh, Spielberg a second ago, but they said that the original Aaron for the film is in an enclosed glass display in Steven Spielberg's office. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So that's, I'm sorry, that, that must have been it. He was the one that they brought in to, I, for some reason, I thought we had actually said that on the podcast. So they brought Spielberg in to Americanize it, and they didn't really chop up much, but he made some additions. The, the 80s music thing must have been him, so we can all kind of point at him for that. Other things uh, to look for this. Uh, it was interesting, according to the book, the name that Bastion screams into the uh, night, which in my mind is absolutely 
impossible to understand. I rewound it like five times. I, I was like, no, I couldn't either. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's apparently Moonchild, um, which uh, he he pines over how beautiful his mother's name is. It kind of sounds like a hippie name. Sounds like a hippie name. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think they should have dubbed I think the dad. I think the dad's fronting now. Yeah, that's what I mean. Now, now in, in retrospect, I think the dad put that suit on for the first time, like day before that happened, and cut his hair completely changed. Like their whole life changed when the mom died. He's right, just like, which only is- contributes to my theory that he killed her. Yeah, you know, like maybe onto something. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I've moved on from my hippie days, and I'm, I'm this, I'm this guy who's like part of the man and the corporate mechanism now, and I, and, and my, I'm gonna keep you down, and, and, and my child. You know, he, I think that he used to have a name himself that was like River Soul, yeah, and, and then he renamed himself and was reborn as like a banker. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> little yeah, did he, you know, the mom was the child of two Hollywood actors who just blew that name up. Right. <laughs> so anyway, there was something else that I read that made me sad a little bit, but I'm glad they changed it in the movie. Um, in the novel, apparently, the, the bullies that chase Bastion, uh, apparently, they do it because he's fat. Interesting. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's oh. uh, they they, oh, that's they bullied him because he was fat. Well, they got a small, scrawny kid that would get picked on. And show, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, no, he definitely like seemed very pick-onable. Um, the guy that they that they picked to do it, but. Uh, yeah, that's that. That's mean. Pick on the fat kids. Uh, as, a, sh- as a else... shrimpy kid myself, I personally would rather defer. Like, like if you were coming back, back, I was like, "Hey, shrimp!" I'd be like, "Hey, pick on the fat kid. He's making lifestyle decisions that he can affect." I personally was not able to control my height. Pick on him. Sorry, out there. <laughs> we have nothing. Maybe it's fat one of those people. things. Like, <laughs> if you're getting bullied, you're rationalizing it to like. Defer it onto somebody else is the best you can come up with. <laughs> if you haven't had karate, point at the other kid. Yeah. Again, Jonathan uh, Brandison, well, uh, Never Ending Story 2, could have stuck up for himself because he was in sidekicks with Chuck Norris and would have judo chopped him in the neck. Absolutely right, he was in sidekicks. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if this comes from just being too young in the 80s, but every movie I've ever seen leads me to believe that I'm glad I was not school age. In the 80s. <laughs> Every movie I ever saw like, in the 80s makes me think there was no supervision anywhere at home or at school. Um, the, one of the are, things are that you inf- kidding? Have you watched any of the shows now? <laughs> you just watch this Pretty Little Liars. They let them do whatever the heck they but want. I was if like, I disappeared into an the- attic and read a book all day, I'm pretty sure that the police would have showed up at some point. And one of the things that infuriated me about that is call your damn dad like just let him know that you're alive like you've been up there all day and uh you know he's probably worried sick assuming he's not you know a, a murderer that well, he, killed he couldn't even he couldn't even, he was so worried that he couldn't even drink his lunchtime raw egg his lunchtime egg and orange juice smoothie <laughs> so distraught well no uh, but that goes that goes into the same thing you know who knows how long he was up there? You know, he had adventures. He did have adventures. He may not have gone home for like 45 years. He, he, he just wished time backwards and so many knew, nobody yeah. knew he was uh, missing. <laughs> Interesting uh, fact. Yeah, also- I'm actually 48 years old. And uh, I know it feels like six and a half hours to you, but a lot has changed in that time. So Noah Hathaway was actually hurt twice in the making of this movie. Once while riding a horse, his horse threw him off and then stepped on him. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second time was during the shooting of the sequence in the swamp of sadness, his leg got caught in an elevator and was pulled underwater. 
And uh, he was actually unconscious by the time they brought him to the surface. So uh, Noah Hathaway being a soldier. I should have captured that. I think that would make for a riveting scene that something swamp pulling him down. and uh... Yeah, which is why the horse got all worried. Which They're is... like, I'm, right. not, I, I'm not doing that. Or in the book, he You're was just like, you're a you. Come on, you're get up. You're coming with me. <laughs> Any other ones before we move on? Oh, I was just going to say that on the uh, on the Atreyu piece, so all this bad stuff happened to him, but the director still had the opportunity later in a TV interview to call him a pain in the uh, butt. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was actively uh, calling him out about what a pain he was on set, despite the fact that he almost killed him a couple times. Well, I'm sure that was inconvenient for filming. So, I mean, I get where he's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> Directors always know that you have to add extra time in dealing with animals and kids. And kids, right. So, I mean, you should, it comes with the territory. Uh, yeah, you would think I mean, so. Wolfgang really, Wolfgang really poured a lot of himself into the dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> least sympathetic father ever. okay that's another thing in the book in the book the father's like actually depressed and like kind of shut down too oh, they're, really? they're, yeah, yeah they're both having trouble in their own way so it's a little more appropriate like because normally your kid's like dad i'm sad mom's dad you'd be like hey, there's no way he'd be like chin up yeah like you'd be like you'd be <laughs> like your feet on the ground you'd be like oh <laughs> i'm sad too i just wanted a hug <laughs> <laughs> oh that is definitely not a hugger no 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 <laughs> Just he was like, here, son, have some real eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a that's a ruffle hair and shove out the door. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, how did this movie like affect you? Did it uh, remind you of anything, uh, Josh? It, yeah, it did. It, like my childhood. Like you know, it's probably I would have guessed one of the first movies I watched. I couldn't tell you the first time I watched this, but it coming out the year I was born. Um, you know, it just reminded me of my of my childhood again. Like singing those story or singing those songs to myself probably back then like i have been the last week or so since watching it again um but uh yeah it was uh it, it also took me back to sort of appreciate how we were talking about practical effects versus special effects and it got me thinking of like like the original jurassic park and and things like that where they actually used practical effects and i think that that sometimes at least to me can be a little more effective than than over the top special effects. Yeah. Is there any character that you remember reading about that you saw yourself or what you wanted to become in? Like kind well, I mean of everyone every kid wanted to be a Treyu. He was he was he was a little badass and yeah. so uh, riding around as hunting the purple buffalo like they they said that that was his job with his tribe or whoever he was with. Also but, uh, a metaphor for drugs. That could be. Yeah. Um but yeah, absolutely. I wanted to fly on Falcor and I wanted to uh you know, fight Gamork. I remember just, yeah, thinking Atreyu was, was pretty cool. Did you know in the story, uh, in the book, he's green. They tried to paint him green. Atreyu was. Yeah, Atreyu was green. And like like Did like Gamora from like yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy and they thought... It, they... Well, in the movie, he was like a perfect bronze tan. Yeah. Like, tanner than, that's another thing that I aspired to. I'm a very pasty individual and so uh, having a tan like Atreyu would uh, be a life goal of mine. He has nice hair too. And, oh, and I'm completely bald so I was jealous of the hair too. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, uh, how, did this, how did this one affect you? I actually really agree with Josh on like five or six points there uh pasty bald uh, <laughs> hey kermit all, the frog all, said that all, it's not all, easy all being that. green <laughs> I, look i get it but you know I'm, i'll agree on both of those points um falcor was easily the character uh that i remembered the most from this movie um i remember it's kind of a log jam uh i remember this movie i remember movies like willow 
um, Conan, uh, just fantasy movies where as a kid, I allowed a lot of the details from these movies to kind of in- intermingle in my mind. So it was interesting rewatching this for the first time in so long to kind of set the record straight in my mind on what's in what. Yeah. So one of the biggest things about rewatching this movie was really to kind of set it down in stone eater that this is, this is this movie. And now I kind of want to go back and watch the others just so I can really sort out those memories. Yeah. That's an awesome point because I had, I had the same feeling that there was a few of those movies you mentioned, um, Willow Conan, uh, some other obscure like eighties fantasy type of movies that I just remember so fondly. I was, I was going to bring up crawl too. crawl. Well, for me, one of the, it was a movie called the beast master, um, which I don't know how it wasn't reviewed very well. Um, but he had two pet ferrets and he fought with swords and he fought with magic. And there were these fleshy bat humans that gobbled up people and spit their bones out. Um, but yeah, like seeing that definitely made me remember some of those other movies. Uh, Red Sonja was another one um, yep. that I want to go back. And it, I don't get that. That's a, that's a unique time for those types of movies. And uh, I agree that I wanted to go back and watch some of those. Yeah. Um, you can even toss Labyrinth in there. Labyrinth, absolutely. Uh, so for me, when I see this one, I, I definitely remember uh, – getting excited by the notion that your books would come to life. And uh, I do remember being a kid and all the way up till you know, so from the time I learned to read all the way up until probably, I don't know, age 10 or so, I would like to take my books into seclusion and go behind the couch in a very tight place with a flashlight. And not a candle. I didn't burn down the back of the couch. <laughs> but um, Or uh, under the steps, even though it's pretty cold down there. I don't know why I felt like this was good book reading um, atmosphere, but <laughs> you, I like you were about ambiance. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to take it into a dark place, preferably with skeletons if I could find right. them. Couldn't find any most of the time, um, and I, I like to read my books. And in a way, this movie kind of showed you how magical reading could be. And so uh, it's kind of funny. I was a loud kid that would get in a lot of trouble, um, and so uh, I would uh, not not in. Uh, trouble per se but i was a high energy kid normally making a lot of noise and so whenever i would disappear and start reading my parents would be like what's up yeah like and so i never <laughs> so it'd always be like if i was reading for a while i'd be like i'm reading They're like oh man what's what did he break yeah <laughs> so uh anyway uh such is life all right so that's how everybody felt about the movie let's talk about the superlatives this is my favorite part of the show um josh you want to kick us off here with your mvp that was kind of a, a tough question for me but i kind of i kind of went with a cop out and i i gave credit to the original author of the material because it was very creative it was a very cool um you know well thought out universe even if the movie didn't get as deep into it as we thought it could be um there there has to be a lot more to that and i'd be interested in uh you know maybe reading up and see see what he had to say about it right and it was written by uh end i believe um uh, it's uh, Michael End, NDE. Okay. So that's my MVP. All right. Uh, Fry. Fry, MVP. I'm uh, still going with Falcor. Uh, easily, one, I feel like it's one of the most memorable characters that are from fantasy movies in the 80s period. Uh, like I said, uh, even before I had rewatched this movie, I was still calling my neighbor's dog Falcor. Um, so, yeah, I just. 
going with that. I'm gonna Luck go. Dragon. I'm gonna go with the uh, director Wolfgang Peterson and also his visual crews. Mm-hmm. Um, the visuals of this movie are so strong; they still stand up to this day. Thirty-three. 34 years later yeah. it's, it, it, and um if you were worried that this movie would be a total loss at coming back as an adult it may not be as deep as you would think but it is worth returning to because the atmosphere is just so good in this um so best supporting actor josh well i'm going to uh, agree with uh fry and i put falcor the luck dragon as the best supporting actor because he is definitely one of the most memorable characters of the entire movie again like i had to look back and remember the names of some of the other characters that i that i could see in my mind but i knew immediately falcor and what he looked like so that's who i put as my best supporting actor okay okay um fry best supporting actor going with rock biter on this one who is also the other character that i was like all right that's definitely part of this so uh made me laugh whole part with him just chomping down on some limestone you know it's just kind of a stapled what you were in for for the rest of the movie best supporting actor for me is going to go to sydney bromley he plays anginimuk um or angiwuk uh he's the old man who bickers with his wife ergol who's played by patricia hayes so sydney bromley's awesome in this he's this crotchety old man but he's still full of energy um you may also know him from American Werewolf in London or Dragon Slayer. So uh, love his performance here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, hidden gem. My hidden gem, and I think I, I touched on this before, and I, I would have really liked to have seen more of Teeny Weeny Nighthob, the narcoleptic bat, and the racing snail. I loved <laughs> those guys. They were they were awesome, Solid. and I would I would watch a a movie about them following them around. Spinoff. So, yeah, exactly. So that's that, that's what I call my hidden gem. But I also started considering after a conversation we had earlier, another hidden gem may be the nothing effects, mm-hmm. because that was surprisingly mm-hmm. well done and uh, uh, effective. Uh, Brian, hidden gem. Um, well, let me. Uh, I'll go back to my first two people with Falcor and Rockbiter to give credit to uh, Alan Oppenheimer who voiced both of them. So I'll do credit to him. I would say that my hidden gem for this is uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Artex for the most heart-wrenching uh, oh, so scene sad. that I saw in the first uh, 16 years of my life. Okay. <laughs> Whenever cool. they got to the swamp, I remember saying to my girlfriend, again, who had never seen this, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. I'm not ready for this. She's like, what are you not ready for? I was like, just, Brace yourself. just watch. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go to the kitchen and make a pizza. I'll be right back. I'm also going to go with the uh, hidden gem, uh, similar to Brian's uh, uh, best supporting. Uh, Alan Oppenheimer does the voice of not only the Rockbiter, but also Falcor and Gamork and the narrator. So, I mean, he's all over this movie. The voice work in here is awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, even though he might be, his characters leave a big impact, he personally is kind of buried in the uh, casting as voice work. And uh, he brings a lot of life to this one. So that's my hidden gem. Um one of my favorites to ask. Just to add a little. Yeah. Oh, if I could add one other thing to that. This guy is still doing it. Like, he does voices for pop culture stuff now. He was in Fallout 4, the video game, um, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, uh, the movie Nine. Like, he is still doing voice acting today on prominent featured stuff. Yeah. Mm hmm. He is. That's, and I'm glad, I, I love that. I love the movie Nine. That's, that's mm-hmm. a cool movie. Um, Josh, 
Hidden Gem. I'm oh, sorry, uh, Recast. Recast. So not to take away anything from Alan Oppenheimer, um, I kind of thought of this as a, if it if it were to be rebooted, what what I would see in those roles. And so I, I came up with a couple. I'm pretty happy with these. So in the beginning, the, uh, the cranky bookkeeper um, where he steals the book. I could totally see a, a pleasant, a present day Jack Black playing. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't really like that. I feel like they, there's a, a role he could just nail. Um, and the other, I had two more. Uh, I could the Rock Eater kind of remind me of Ron Perlman, so uh, I thought that, that maybe I could see him cast as that. And then finally, as the voice of Gamork, Benedict Cumberbatch. You know what? I think Michael End wants to work with you and get, get this to happen. I, I, I mean, I think, I'd be I think think was... of Smaug and the Gamora. Yeah, so I yeah. guess. Yeah. I think Michael End wants another crack at this. Yeah, If yeah. he's still alive. If he needs some uh, some consult, you know, I'm available. Um, so, uh, Brian, recast. If you had to recast one player, who would it be? I, I actually went the same way Josh did on this. I, I went with what would a modern day telling of this look like? And I had uh, a Treyu is MJ Anthony, uh, who is in uh, the new jungle book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the princess as uh, Millie Bobby Brown from stranger things. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, sure no, no, I can see that. No, yeah, I can see that. Uh, Bastion. I had is uh, Jack Dylan Grazier from it. Uh, he's also co- uh, going to be the kid in the upcoming Shazam. Um, and then I started thinking about comic relief for this, where if they just did a little bit more to make it, instead of being silly funny, being funny funny. And I was thinking Paul Giamatti is the bat guy. <laughs> okay, I like that's, that one. That's good, yeah. That, that, that's my favorite one of those. So. I, was, I was thinking of Tom Segura as the snail guy. <laughs> okay. And uh, as the right rock biter, I was thinking Stephen Wright who plays the guy on the couch from Half-Baked. My goodness, you've gone on quite... You, you, you've really <laughs> taken this segment. And, okay. Any other ones before we move forward? No, no, that was it. I was just trying to think of, like, how would they make this, like, not super mainstream, like the MTV one, but, like, what would make this a compelling modern-day story? Well, I, uh, I, d- I did a little, something a little different. I, I, I said if I had to replace one cast member who was the most in need of free casting, and uh, I said uh, Bastion's father. I didn't like how he portrayed the role. I didn't like – I yeah. mean there's some things that an actor could easily uh, reshape. And uh, I looked at the time and thought who would be a good guy to play this role? Roy Schneider. Yeah. Um, from Jaws and from uh, you know uh, Sequest again, yeah, yeah. some more Sequest yeah, crossover. Sequest. <laughs> yeah, we need more Sequest in Fantasia. Well, his, more his father was the the guy's of a reasonably well known actor now, right? I definitely recognized his face. I didn't look into him a whole lot more, but I, I know I've seen him in other things. He just didn't do it for you're me. Right. I agree with you completely. So, yeah, so you're he, the the one that followed the rules correctly as far <laughs> as this recast, and I, I agree 100 percent with you. And so he'd be coming off the movie Blue Thunder, and uh, after the movie 2010. Uh, the year we made contact so um he'd it'd be a good place in the year for it would be good for his career it would be good for the movie and um i i think we would not be asking ourselves today if roy schneider had done this did he kill his wife um, <laughs> um best shot or this is this means your best cinematic moment what's the prettiest moment for uh, me it was the first gate on the way to the southern oracle you have those two giant griffin like statues mm-hmm. um he watches the the fully armored knight go through and then get zapped and i think that the just the whole setting of that i do definitely remember um and i thought it was a, a really really well shot scene yeah 
Uh, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I was racking my brain between two, and I'll, I'm glad I get to say the other one now. What about you, Brian? Best shot? I'm going to go with um, Atreyu riding Falcor to the uh, little floating island that still had the princess's uh, temple on it. Yep. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Sea of Possibilities. Um, I'm going to go with uh, approaching the Ivory Tower. Um, I really liked as they're in, as the uh, racing snail and the bat, uh, uh, the guys finding the bat are coming in, and we see the image of this mountain that's cut through and illuminated from the inside in this really wonderful environment. I mean, this is something as pretty as out of Lord of the Rings. Um, mm. It is really cool, and the ivory tower should be the most impressive thing in the land. That's where the Empress lives, and. Uh, it, it delivers. So my, my, my best shot is going to go to the ivory tower. Although I'm definitely like the Sphinx. Uh, they have the first gate. The as first well. gate. Yeah. So um, what is your best scene? Uh, this was tough, but it have to be the Artax and the, and the swamp of sadness. Um, it just the best. I don't know if the, the most the one that affected me the most, the one that I remembered the most, like I said, I, I even warned my girlfriend when he got to the swamp. I was like, Oh God, not ready um so it looks great too yeah it does and she was like wait is the horse okay the horse lives right and she's like we got to watch the credits to make sure that the horse actually wasn't hurt making this because it was sinking into the mud up to its ears like essentially so uh, i assume the horse wasn't the horse was okay i did see that okay good good uh, people don't don't uh don't have to get upset yet yeah yeah but still i mean like no luck dragons were hurt either. Good. <laughs> but to, but to, to have watched this at such a young age and have it like affect me like that, um, that, that was my best scene. Uh, Brian, best scene? I'm going to go with uh, the struggle to find each other where they did the Atreyu uh, Falcor scene right before he's attacked. Um, I just felt like that was like a gripping, like we've got to see this through you know, the perseverance piece. No, that's a good one. Also, this, this one has a lot of good scenes. Uh, uh, so this was a tough one. I went with, uh, when Enmuk, uh, and his wife, Urgel are fighting. Uh, I just <laughs> love these bickering old couple, uh, as, uh, Atreyu comes across them. And, uh, this, this old couple just cracks me up. <laughs> so change one thing. If I had to change one thing, I thought a little bit of, Bastion, I don't know if it was maybe the acting wasn't great. He was, was kind of very whiny, but the way he was saying certain things, um, I think that they could have been a little better. But then I also wrote, like, tell your dad where you are. Come on now. Like, we can go back to that. Your dad's <laughs> dealing with the death of the mother. Assuming he didn't kill the mother himself. But it was like the 80s. Just, I mean, parents don't disappear. He's just obviously worried about the kid. Like, freaking tell your dad where you are. Like, skip your test. But, yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, Brian, change one thing. The debt. The dad still could have been dealing with the emotional angst of killing the wife. So he could have been dealing one way or the other. Um, If I could change one thing, I would say there was a solid part toward the beginning where I wasn't sure where it was going uh, upon rewatch. And I was like, I remember vaguely what the end of this is, but I wasn't sure how they were going to get there. And it really stemmed from Atreyu never getting together with what was in my mind supporting cast 
So like you all brought up earlier with you Snail mean Man Teeny and, and Nighthawk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you did kind yeah, of think that they like, were all, all right, going to meet up. When and, are they all hooking yeah. up? Yeah. Brian's singing and my like, song here. I know he's going. Yeah, I'm with but you. I, I, I just didn't get it. I was like, wait a minute. When are, what, why? I'm with you. I, I think Atreyu needs companions. And this is my change one thing too. Atreyu needs companions on his journey, whether it starts off at the ivory tower where they say, who wants like it'd be nice if they do a Lord of the Rings style like who else will accompany our brave Atreyu? <laughs> I and, with my narcoleptic bat. Yeah, and I was like, I've got a race in this now. I'll come along too. And so I would like that. Hey, I or, like limestone. Or you could do it the Wizard of Oz style, where like you start to, off on your journeys and you pick somebody up at the swamp, right. and then you're like, you know, I'm a scarecrow. I need to come join you. And then like the like as soon as you go a couple steps farther, you're like, I'm a Tin Man. I also want to join you mm-hmm. and. So you either got to go Lord of the Rings or Wizard of Oz in this one. The whole, like, we can only have one hero thing didn't do it for me either. Best quote. All right. Um, I want to read two. My, my best quote uh, comes from the Rockbiter towards the end of the movie where he does meet Atreyu. Um, he's talking about how he's sad that he, he lost his friends. He lost Teeny Weenie. He lost Nighthawk. Um, and he was disappointed in himself that he wasn't able to hold on to them as the nothing came through. So what he said, like, it was really so sad. Um, he's looking down at his hands. And again, remember, this is a giant man made of rock. And he says, they look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that's what they were. And that's just freaking heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my my uh, honorary not- mention, um, going back to the, uh, the, the gnomes, um, the, the husband-wife. When they were uh, going up to overlook the the gate, um, the uh, husband looks at the wife and directs her towards the contraption and says, "To the winch, winch." And that, <laughs> that made me laugh. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian, best quote. Uh, I'm gonna go with Falcor uh, when he said, "Having a luck dragon with you is the only way to go on a quest." Absolutely. Truer words have never yeah, been spoken. I mean... <laughs> right. I want one for my next quest. Um, so I would say uh, mine is from Atreyu. He says uh, to Gwark, uh, as the world seems to be beginning to fall apart, he says, if we're about to die anyway, I'd rather die fighting. There you go. Nice. And I, I like that determination from the character. Now comes time to uh, let, let's rate the movie on a five-star scale. Josh, what would you give the never-ending story? I'll, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four. I think it's definitely it holds up well. It's some, I don't have children, but it's something that I feel like I would introduce to my children. Again, we talked about it. maybe it's a, a little shallower than it ought to be, um, but uh, I still I enjoyed revisiting it. So. Would you champion a remake? Yeah, I'd be on board with that. Okay. Yeah. Room for improvement. Though. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If done, if done the correct way. Yeah. Yeah. No Justin Bieber's. No, no Justin Bieber's. You'll have to explain that when it comes to you. Uh, sorry, uh, Brian. Um, what would you rate this movie on a five-star scale? I'm going to, I will also give it a four. Um, I, like I had mentioned earlier in the movie or in the podcast, I, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, this didn't have the magic it had for me the first time I watched it, but I also don't think it's supposed to. Um, we look at things objectively, especially for the podcast. I know I go into a lot of movies thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be thinking right now. And there's a lot of willing suspicion, suspension of disbelief that goes out the door when you're analyzing. So, you know, maybe if I had just grabbed a bucket of popcorn and watched it once for, for my own, you know, enjoyment, 
it would have been a little different. So I'll say four, definitely champion a remake. Uh, MTV looked into championing a remake for this and they had like Tyler Lautner and, or Taylor Lautner and uh, Justin Bieber in casting roles as the two main characters. Mm, no, and no, not, not that, not, no, not that remake. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you said that you, I think you just kind of hit on something that was kind of the point of the movie though. We get older and we lose our imagination and that's ultimately what caused the nothing to come through. Um, people had lost their, their imagination. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, still four out of five. I mean, I'm still. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm, this I mean, is the I first time we've, this is the first time it. we've done the show with this. So this is going to be a clean sweep. Oh, that's not true. Halloween. We had, we had a clean sweep of fives across the board, but uh, this is the first clean sweep of fours anyway. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm also going to go with four. I thought the visuals are so good. Uh, the story is a little lightweight, as Josh mentioned, and uh, I definitely do want to go back and see the sequel. Uh, and um, there's uh, the acting at times is a little obtuse, a little direct, little I'm aware I'm watching somebody act. And I think there's room. I think today we're better at getting uh, childhood actors. I don't know if that's because they're being groomed from a younger age to act, but um uh, again, uh, I I would trust that the, the computer animation could be there to where it could deliver a good enough job, and I would still like to see a healthy dose of practical effects mixed with the computer side. Um, I think we could write an awesome score for this and do it again really well today. So I'm going to go for I think it's great the way it is, but I still think there's room for improvement. So, um, Brian, do you want to help me select the movie for next time? Absolutely. So I have for you three science fiction um, options that are going to feature a great uh, soundtrack and also not be necessarily they're not going to be action science fiction they're going to be more of a uh, thinking science fiction so the option one is going to be star trek the original emotional uh, original motion picture from 1979 when an alien spacecraft of enormous power is spotted on earth uh, sorry spotted approaching earth admiral james t kirk resumes command of the overhauled uss enterprise to order to intercept it um option two 2001 a space odyssey from 1968 a space opera spanning the dawn of man and humanity uh to reaching to the stars it's a story of the black monolith sparking humanity's evolution and the rise of the supercomputer option three close encounters of the third kind rob neary an electrical lineman watches how his quiet ordinary daily life turns upside down after a close encounter with a ufo I've always been a Stanley Kubrick fan, so I will go with 2001 Space Odyssey. All right. Before we go, I do just want to remind everybody, please, please, please uh, subscribe to us. Share it with your movie-loving friends. Uh, we are available. At, and please give us reviews on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Please, please, please reach out to the show. You can reach us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. We'd love to know what you think. Give us a like on Facebook. Every week we post the movie there, and we'd love to see what you think of the movie. Don't like our rating? Tell us what you would rate it. Let us know if you agree. Thank you, Josh, so much for coming in. First My time pleasure. Guest. I had a lot of fun. Hopefully uh, you bring me back. This was, uh, was a good time. Yeah, we, we would love to. And um, Brian, thanks so much for covering for John. And this week you made it, you made it work for us. Thanks. Hey, no problem, man. Happy to be here. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Uh, in the uh, Stanley Kubrick 2001 Space Odyssey uh, vein, I will uh, quote Hal, I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think any conscious ent entity can ever hope to do.